and it is my um, honor to, to welcome you here on Easter. We come gather together to declare and to celebrate, to reaffirm, to sing about what we believe is the most important event in human history. Not Christian history, but human history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's why we're here, and that's why many of you are gathered. Um, I don't know if you know this, but prior to the resurrection, the people of God had a tradition of meeting on the Sabbath or on Saturday, and um, after the resurrection, the people of God um, changed the tradition and made the day of worship Sunday um, as a way of saying we live now in the resurrection light. So that's one of the reasons we gather and worship on Sunday is to commemorate the resurrection each week. Now let me say this morning, I, I, as I was praying and thinking about you know, who would be gathered here, I recognize that there are probably three um, general groups in this room. Um, most of you are gathered here because you believe the resurrection. Like you have had an encounter with the truth of the gospel and you came to believe that Christ died and rose again for your sin. And the resurrection is a life-changing event for you. That is it. it it's changed you somehow. Uh, maybe given you an increase of joy, given you um, just confidence in your relationship with God, a hope that the, the final end of your story is not death or a tomb or a casket, but is actually resurrection. And that's, that's probably the majority of us who gather because we believe this. There's a second group, I would imagine, in this room of people who affirm it. That is, maybe you heard about it in confirmation or in catechism or were taught it in Sunday school like a thousand years ago. And and, uh, and, and you, you believe it, but it, it, it's, it's just kind of one of those historical facts that, that it kind of revolves around your life, like out there like Pluto. Like, you know, it's there, but it's really not something that makes a, a tangible daily, weekly, monthly difference in your life. And, and if that happens to be you, it's okay. There's no judgment here. Um, we're glad you came. That's, that's group number two. And then there's group number three, um, which... Maybe a, a, a minority, I would guess a vast minority of people who are just like, you know, you came here and you thought, I just don't buy this stuff, but um, I'm going to come out of a sense of tradition, or maybe you're guilted into coming. And you know what? We won't, no guilt or no, no judgment here. Um, we're glad you're here too. And um, I'm just going to tell you that no matter what I say, what tricks I do, how eloquent I am, or lack thereof, I can't convince anybody in this room that Jesus rose from the dead. But we're going to declare this morning in hope because God can do what I can't. And that's what we're going to do this morning. You know, it's interesting. We live in a, a, a particular time in which um, our approach to the categories of what is true and what is false is inconsistent in a way that it wasn't 50, 75 plus years ago. That is our approach to the categories of what is true and false. Now, we grew up taking tests that were uh, multiple choice or sometimes essay, and my favorite were true and false questions, right? Because at least I had a 50% chance of getting it right, right? Like true or false, George Washington was the first president of the United States. True, got that one. Herbie Hancock signed the Declaration of Independence Hopefully that's a false, right? Um, oil is lighter than water. True. You have to have water as a human being in order to live at least long term. True. That is where we're taught to think, we're tested in true and false. 
In fact, it's so important that, and, and we do it unconsciously, that, that decision-making, a discerning part of us that's constantly judging the truth of something or a falsity of something, it, 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 it's absolutely necessary for life, even our relationships. Like, if you're going to have a healthy, vibrant relationship with somebody like a friend or a wife, well, you have to believe that what they're telling you is true and not false. So we know by way of life, by way of history, by way of schooling and education, that there is a difference between something that is true versus something that is false. And you're like, okay, well, I get it. What's interesting is we live in a time where when it comes to the realm of religion, God, Jesus, what he did, the implications for the entire world, well, then the prevailing notion of our culture is to say, well, in that case, the categories of true and false don't really operate. That is to say, what's true for you may not be true for me. And all of a sudden, it's like those, that basic sense that we have of true versus false don't operate in the realm of religion or in the realm of the, of the divine or God or what he's done in human history. It's like we've changed the rules or changed the game. And I think that's inconsistent, and people didn't used to think that way. In fact, the, the, the Bible would argue that when it comes to the domain of God and what he's done in human history, the ability to discern the difference between true and false is even more important than determining the difference between true and false as it relates to the first president of the United States or that the human body needs water. It's that important. So that the Bible can use words like Jeremiah, he says, there are false gods. And Jesus could say in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, the one and only true God. So there's this differentiation between a false God and a true God. And that implies that there is also false religion and true religion. That is, the Bible's insistent that these categories of true versus false exist in the realm of religion, in the realm of who God is and what he's done. And one of the writers in the New Testament, the verse I'm going to point out to you, actually two of them this morning, taken out of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is going to argue on the basis of true versus false. That is, he asks a, a group of people in the church who, for whatever reason, don't have time to talk about what that reason is, but for whatever reason, didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead physically. And so he asks a question. He says, chapter 15, verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then the implication is, certain consequences follow. If Christ has not been raised. That is, uh, this, the tool, I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about it, but the whole idea of if-then thinking, it's a tool to get you to think about suppositions and conclusions. That if this is right, the hypothesis, then this necessarily follows. It's a way of getting to the truth of something. If this is true, what's going to happen? If this is false, what's going to happen? And he's reasoning, what happens if Jesus doesn't, didn't rise from the dead? That is, either he did or he didn't. It's either true or false. That's, that's the assumption of this. It's either true or false. And if he didn't, this is what's going to happen. This is what happens to our faith, right? It's an interesting way, a tool, if-then thinking, to get us to think more deeply about life, about the future, about what 
what, what's the big picture? Instead of just being so immersed in today and so immersed in the pleasures and the pain and the disappointments of today to think long-term and big, like, if this, then this. If you stop to think about your life in terms of if this, then this. Let, let me just, let's just practice this tool for a second. If, supposition, God does not exist. Just say for a second, some of you are like, yeah, that's me. I, I, I believe that. If God does not exist, then the conclusion that necessarily, there's lots of them, that necessarily follows is that at the end of the day, this is all there is, the physical space, matter, time that we have around us. And we know by way of physics that at some point everything is going to run down and burn out. Which means if there is no God to restore and reclaim, at the end of this story, there's death. That's if, then, or a related one, if we as living biological creatures are nothing more than the product of random, complex, improbable things coming together to create the perfect storm of life and that we have emerged from it, well, if that's true, and some in here might say, that's, that's what I believe, then, like, so what are the necessary consequences? Where does that lead us? And same way with example number one, you're left with a, a world that began as an accident and will die either by the self-destruction or the sun burning out or something. So at the end of that, if then, is, is still death, like death wins. I'm bringing a little closer to home. So what if God exists, if, if God exists, but there's no resurrection? If God exists, but there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ physically from the dead, then what? Well, Paul argues that then we're still left in our sins. We're still under the condemnation of God. And at some point, there's going to be a bill to pay. And that bill ends in death. We're still in our trespasses and sins. We're still under condemnation of God. We're still headed towards the future, what the Bible calls the second death. So even if you believe in God, there's no resurrection of Jesus physically from the dead, then the end of the story is still death. See? And not only so, he says, if that's the case, and you know this, he says, we are above all people to be most pitied. That is, the Christian, uh, Christianity itself is, 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 is a pitiful thing without resurrection, right? You know what pity is? When you look at something, you think, you think, oh, wow, I'm sure glad I'm not like that. Like seeing a two-legged dog without teeth that has matted hair on the side of the road, you're like, oh, man, that's horrible. Well, that's how people should feel about us as Christians if there's no resurrection of Jesus physically from from the dead. So he uses this if then to get us to think. Like, what you know, what what's your if? What what's the what is it you believe as it relates to Jesus? Now, Paul doesn't ask us that question if, so that we as Christians can stay there. He wants to be rock solid, intensely declarative. Um, Absolutely certain that it's not as if if Christ rose from the dead, but he wants us to come down on since Christ rose from the dead. Or he says it in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ rose from the dead. It's this way of saying, like, this is, this is not... 
In, in, in the realm of true versus false, if you were to ask, did Jesus rise from the dead, the answer for Paul would be an intense, universal, passionate, and convicted true. In fact, Christ has risen from the dead. I think that Christians are supposed to live, we're supposed to live with a sense of since Christ rose from the dead. Not if, but since. Apostle Paul, along with countless eyewitnesses, along with 27 New Testament documents, along with the Hebrew prophets from before, all the, well, most of which foretold this resurrection that God would win in the end over death, affirms to us that it happened. It happened in a real time in the first century, in a real place, just outside of Jerusalem, in a real tomb, and that he actually, historically, physically came to life. It happened. The whole of our faith, the whole of our joy and our hope rests on that simple truth of what we celebrate this morning actually happened. And the results of that, I mean, it changes everything. Since Christ has risen from the dead. Listen to this. It means that there unquestionably is a God. A God that he said existed and a God that he said he obeyed. If, no, since Christ rose from the dead. That means, implication, that Jesus is who he said he was as the way, the truth, and the life. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. By, thing, by, by him, all things were made that were made, both things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible. Since he rose from the grave, it means that Jesus is the authorized revealer of God and also the fullness of the revelation of God. So he determines what's true and what's false about God. Since Jesus rose from the dead, we know that he is king, he is savior, he's coming judge. Since Jesus rose from the dead, we know that his offering on Good Friday, his life, his blood, was accepted by God once for all in place of his people, which means that atonement actually was accepted. It means that we as his, as his people are now in a position of freedom and forgiveness and pardon. We are no longer under condemnation all because he rose from the grave. Since he rose from the grave, it means that our future is not death. Our future is the hope of resurrection life. And not only that, but because or since Christ rose from the dead, it means that he is going to renovate and restore all of creation. As John said, behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the former heaven or the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And this, all of it comes from this thing called resurrection. As since Christ is raised from the dead, we know that God's love wins in the end. Since Christ rose from the dead, we have hope, we have joy, we have a future. Which is why the resurrection is, is like, for the Christian, it's, it's our strength and it's our song. That we no longer live under the oppressive weight or tyranny of the shadow of death, but we live in the shimmering dawn of, of resurrection. All of us, whether we fully are aware of it every day or not, that is the reality in which we live because or since Jesus rose from the dead. It's pivotal to everything. It's, it's to everything, foundational to everything, which is why this is such an important event for us is to come and say, remember, 
This is what he did. And because of this, this is what we have. And not only that, this is what we will have. All of it coming back to this thing called resurrection. The real the question is, you know, for that small group in this room, one of the most important questions you can answer is true or false? Jesus rose from the dead. So the most critical question one can answer in their life. Jesus rose from the dead, true or false? And if it's true, to believe it and to embrace it and to let it live in your life. If it's not, if it's false, the question is why? Why? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, that is the person who embraces, who says, that's true, and I believe it. Even though he dies, yet shall he live. That's the end of the story for the one who embraces and says, yes, true, and I believe. You know, we can't see gravity. We can see its effects, but we believe in it. You know, we we believe in love, even though we can't see it with our physical eyes, and yet it's one of the most powerful things in the world. You may not have seen the resurrection of Jesus physically from the dead, although many did. But you know, Jesus said himself, says, blessed are those who do not see and believe. And that's one of our, our prayers for this event is not only that we praise and worship God as a result of all that he's done for us in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but also to put out there the question, you know, Jesus rose from the dead, true or false? And if you say true, it has the potential of revolutionizing your entire life. For the rest of us, who came here, who do believe, this is just a, simply a moment of declaration, of reminder, and a chance for us to praise and bless God for all he's done, that he has done a work to bring death or life out of death and to bring light out of darkness. And so we can say with the apostle Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again or raised up in newness of life to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, we are grateful to you for your love and your kindness and your power and your wisdom. We pray for those who believe that you would increase our belief in this and allow the truth of the resurrection to shine its radiant light into our hearts and lives and relationships to increase our hope and our faith and our joy in what you have done. And for those who have not yet had a chance to really respond, I pray you would even now be working in their hearts and minds to consider the question as to whether or not the resurrection of Jesus is true or false. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son and for the gift of life and for the gift of resurrection life. In Christ's name, amen.